Welcome to the Gold Standard Podcast here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Make sure you are rating, reviewing, subscribing, sharing the product. Check out the YouTube page as well. We have a very large, very serious, many people are talking about it, announcement today on the show. Um, We are going to talk about Yossi getting snubbed. We're going to talk about the sale of the franchise. Uh, We'll do a few other lighthearted things a little bit later on in the show. Um, And of course, as as always, the gold standard is brought to you by Jaspers, the wonderful and amazing folks over on West End, the next evolution of the sports bar from Four Top Hospitality, free parking, great game room. Steve Cavendish of the Nashville Banner still refuses to acknowledge that you cannot trap the puck on an air hockey table. Jaspers has the best air hockey table in the city. Um, So a lot of stuff to do on the show today. Um, Of course, none of that will be as important as what we need to do at the very beginning here. And I'm sure some of you have seen some stuff on the internet, but Adam Vingen here on the show on his podcast is going to have an opportunity to make an announcement in his terms and in his voice. Adam, the floor is yours to make said announcement to the wonderful and amazing folks here at the gold standard podcast. All right. Oh, thanks. Thanks, Braden. Um, I don't have anything prepared, so I'm, <laughs> I'm just going to try to, to do this off the top of my head. Um, so as many, if not all of you know, um, I am no longer with The Athletic. Uh, a decision uh, was made last week um, that the company wanted to, you know, wanted to go in a different direction. And, and quite frankly, so did I. Um, so yes, I, you know, this is not new. This part is not news. Um, I I am no longer with the athletic, um, you know, the, the past week I've done a lot of thinking as one, you know, as one might when they, when they undergo a significant life change. Um, I, sorry, it's, I'm just trying to make sure I, I say everything the way I want to say it. Um, I, you know, I, I think the past couple of years, especially since, uh, the outset of the coronavirus pandemic, which has been hard on all of us in some form or fashion, um, you know, it was hard on me too. And, um, as I've disclosed previously, you know, I experienced some burnout, um, earlier this year. And, um, I just think that the aspects of the job, um, that made, made it, um, so exhilarating, um, were taken away as a result of the pandemic, um, namely the ability to enter a dressing room and and speak to players face to face, get to know them, uh, you know, and that way, it's through those conversations that you find the stories that most resonate with readers. And, you know, that, that was taken away from all of us, all reporters, um, sports reporters over the past couple of years. I mean, think about it this way. There are players who have played for the Nashville Predators over the past two seasons that I've never met. You know, I, I never met Eric Halla. I never met Brad Richardson. I never met Eric Goodbranson. Um, I never met David Riddick. Um, I never met Matt Benning. Um, never met Nick Cousins. You know, have I interviewed them? Yeah. In, yeah. I mean, like I interviewed Nick Cousins after a game in the scrum, but that's much different than actually getting to know him and, and learn things about him that could make for a good story. Is um, is not getting to meet Eric Goodbranson the, the biggest regret of your career? It might come down to that one day. When I'm in a retrospective or introspective or retrospective, I'm not sure exactly which word I'm looking for. When I'm in a, when I'm in that sort of mood, maybe that yeah, will be yeah. um, the biggest regret that I've had. But um, it, it became difficult. You felt isolated from you know the team you were covering, especially during the shortened season because everything was on Zoom. At least this past season. There was more face-to-face interaction, but it was it was more it was in it was in formal settings, um, so it was better, but not the same. Um, and it just got to a point where 
uh, I was uh, I was prepared and ready uh, to do something else other than beat reporting. Um, and you know, there, uh, there. I'm sure there are, I'm sure there are a couple of questions that our listeners have, um, probably more than a couple. Um, but you know, I'll I'll attempt to answer them as best I can. Um, one, I'm sure people are wondering, uh, particularly those who subscribe to the Athletic, um, what is the Athletic's plan for Predators coverage moving forward? Um, I don't know. Quite frankly, it's none of my concern. Um, I don't know if they're going to find another Predators reporter. Um, recent history suggests that it might not happen. Um, when the Athletic had um, some turnover um, at the outset of the pandemic, um, they lost their Arizona Coyotes reporter and their Florida Panthers reporter, never replaced them. When our New Jersey Devils reporter, their New Jersey Devils reporter, I'm still learning how to change those. Um, their New Jersey Devils reporter uh, moved to San Jose uh, to, to report on the San Jose Sharks. Uh, they never replaced uh, they never replaced him. Um, so it would not at all surprise me if the athletic chose not to uh, hire someone to cover the Nashville Predators on a daily basis. Um, I'm sure another question, that some of you have, because look, I've done some doom scrolling over the past week, as is as, as is so uh, bad, Adam. You should not bad. be doing. You and, should not and, be I, doing and there, that. And I, I, I'm over it. Um, but there are plenty of people, including people who listen to this program, who, based on the doom scrolling I did, are happy that I'm no longer reporting on the Nashville Predators for the athletes. Stop it! Stop it! Um, so no, let me, hang on. I know you have many more things to say, but let me say one thing on your behalf, since it sounds like you're not going to say it. Maybe you will. I don't know. But the Nashville Predators fans are significantly worse off without you on the beat. Full stop. Period. End of discussion. I cannot remember anyone since I've covered the team since 2016 that has done a better job covering the Nashville Predators with an objective, thoughtful, nuanced, professional approach, the guy who's willing to ask the tough questions and write the interesting and tough stories. So if you are one of those folks who listens to this show and also hates Adam Bingham, number one, I don't understand your psychological makeup. And number two, you're worse off. You are worse off as a fan without Adam Bingham, period, full stop. Sorry to interrupt, Adam. Carry on. I, I appreciate that sentiment. Um, you know, the, the other, you know, the other question or one of the other questions that I'm sure some of the listeners have is what are, what's my plan? You know, what am I intending to do? I'm still trying to figure that out. Um, it's been a week. Um, it's been a hard week, uh, it's, but it's been a week and I, I don't know exactly what I'm going to do, but there are a couple of things that I have come to terms with, um, I have been a beat reporter, either as a freelancer or a full-time beat reporter, for 10 years. Um, it was the 11-12 season. It was my first season as a freelance reporter covering the Washington Capitals, um, whether it was for NHL.com, whether it was for Washington Post Express, whether it was for NBC Washington, I, I was I had my hands in a lot of different freelance jars, so to speak. Um, then you have to—I mean, it's hard to imagine, or it's hard to believe. You know, I, I reported on the the Nashville Predators for seven plus years um, for two outlets, the Tennessean and the Athletic. So ten years. Uh, of of beat reporting, I believe that chapter of my life is over. Um, so, as far as I am concerned, um, this will spell the end of my daily coverage of the Nashville Predators. Um, uh, I am prepared and ready and excited to find something new, a new challenge, um, and and that is what I intend to do. Um, that is that that is not to say that you know if somebody you know contracted me as a freelancer to write a big picture story on the Nashville Predators would I do it I'm not in the position to turn down work right now um 
and and if it provides me to, if it provides for me the opportunity to do the writing that I want to do, the writing that I feel I am best at doing, then I will do it. Um, but in terms of writing about them every day, speculating about trades, free agents, lineup analysis, <laughs> things of that nature, that's done. Um, I, I do not intend um, to cover the Nashville Predators on a daily basis again. Um, so this basically serves this is the announcement this basic this will be my my last regular appearance on the gold standard um you know that this you know talking about the predators weekly as you and i have Braden, for the past year and a half or so you know that sort of you know constitutes you know although it's weekly it sort of constitutes daily type coverage because we talk about a lot of those things that i was just rattling off that Quite frankly, I don't want to do anymore. Um, so this will be um, my final, you know, co-host appearance um, on the Gold Standard. Um, I just think it's time uh, to do something else. Um, you know, I had the privilege of covering this team through, during a very exciting period in its history um, from from a 14th part of a 14-15 season where they lost a six-game playoff series to Chicago and you could tell that something was building um, to those two seven-game series they played in 2016 against Anaheim and San Jose. Of course, the run to the Stanley Cup final, uh, the President's Trophy season, I, I, the All-Star Games in there too, I forgot that. You know, it was, it was, it was fun at that time to chronicle you know, the rise of the Nashville Predators. Um, but after seven plus years, it, the, the parts of the job that used to be exhilarating had become more burdensome and it's, it's just time for, I have greater ambitions and it's time for me, uh, to explore said greater ambitions. So, um, you know, this will, this will serve as my farewell, so to speak, um, in terms of being a predators beat reporter. I guess you could say this is my final act of, of doing that. Um, so, yeah, that that is the uh, the announcement that you teased. That do, I do. You sitting. have. Um, I've got some follow ups for all of okay. this, some, some conversations. But do, would you like to say perhaps thank you to the wonderful have, folks who I have read got, you over the years and listened there. to you? I haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> you know, I appreciate, you know, I appreciate the support that many of you have shown over the past seven plus years, whether it was at the Tennessean or at the Athletic. I appreciate it, um, particularly at the Athletic, which has a more robust comment section. You know, I appreciate <laughs> the, um, the the back and forth. You know, I felt like I got to know a lot of the people uh, who read my work just based on the fact that they were regularly commenting and interacting with me in the comment section. Um, I appreciate that. Um, you know, I appreciate anyone who ever complimented me on this podcast or on, on my writing or my, you know, fill in work on the radio or being a guest on the radio, all of those things. Um, yeah, that, that, that does not go unnoticed. Um, it was certainly, um, like I said, you know, it was, you know, moving to Nashville in 2015. I had never been here before. Um, when I interviewed for the job at the Tennessean in 2015, which I guess would have been in February, January or February of 2015, that was the first time I ever stepped foot in the state of Tennessee. Um, I had never even like connected through Nashville to fly somewhere else, you know. So I and, and you know, you know, th th this is a great city. Um, I met my wife here. We, you know, my son was born here. You know, it, it, it's been a great place to live. Um, so I appreciate all of the support. Um, yeah, I wasn't going to forget doing that. I just hadn't gotten there yet. <laughs> no, I know, dude. Um, so two, two quick little things here that are a little bit more sort of behind the media curtain, maybe, um, but, but sort of Prez related. And then again, we can argue about Roman Yossi getting jobbed or not in just a second. But um Number one, I think one of the things you learn in this business quickly, especially on air, 
where it's about personality and it's about chemistry and it's about working very closely with someone in particular in a, in a, in a more live radio format where you are together for three or four hours every single day. Um, I've had so many amazing opportunities in my career to, to work with people. I've worked with Lou Holtz. I've worked with Jason Fitz. I've, you know, for varying different lengths of time, Mitch Light, who was, you know, very well from, from the athletic and editor there was at Athlon Sports, was my boss for 12 years. I learned almost everything I need to know about, or everything I could possibly know. <laughs> I'm limited when it comes to writing and editing and magazine work that, that I've ever learned from him and just how to be a professional. Um, but I think every show, in particular this one, for example, you and I coming together, we had known each other and sort of overlapped and worked together loosely. And, and then my point is, is that every show that gets started is going to come to an end. Um, and I think learning in now that I'm 39 years old, learning to to appreciate those good dynamics and relationships while you have them is critical in our business. And it because they're all going to end. Every single one's going to end, whether it's the Gold Standard podcast, whether it's a national radio show, a local radio show, it doesn't matter. They're all going to TV show. It doesn't matter. It, it's a, you're like a head coach. When, when you get a show going, the odds of it lasting for more than three to five years are extremely slim. And you just have to appreciate the good relationships and moments and dynamics when you can. And I think I'm extremely grateful for being able to listen to you do the voice, talk about your dad walking, you and your dad walking through the French Quarter, getting your ass slapped by a stripper during a commercial. Like the, these are the th like arguing about your Saints fandom, as well as all the Pred stuff. I think you are um, wonderful to work with, and of all the people that I work with, hosting shows, you know. I, I am grateful to have the opportunity to have worked with you and that's it. Like, that's it. There's, that's, there's not really much more than that in this business. It's just sort of, it just ends. Uh, a lot of times it ends abruptly. And here's my other peek behind the curtain. One day I will explain a lot further and more detail on probably lamestream sports, the media podcast that we do in terms of all of the dynamics of how my career ended at one Oh two five, the game. But this business is very abrupt um, in particular on air where I got a text message literally nine minutes before the end of a show on Monday, February 10th, that I needed to pop into my boss's office. It won't take long. <laughs> I thought that was my favorite part of the text. It won't take long. And first sentence out of their mouth was, hey, we're going in a different direction. I didn't have a whole lot to say because I was also looking to go in a different direction, much like you. And I say that not to have any ill will towards anybody or to have any negative things to say about anybody. I've still not spoken to the person who made that decision. That person has never um, spoken to me and explained what exactly took place, but I don't really care. I don't really, cause I was looking to get out as well and covering the national predators and covering hockey in general, especially with young children is very, very difficult. It is an absolute grind. It is, Late nights, weeknights, lots of, for you, it was lots of traveling. For me, it was 4 a.m. wake-up calls for the radio show while trying to watch a game against Vancouver on the West Coast um, and expecting, you know, to be at games until late and then up early at 4.30 and to be back on in the air and on in the office and on the air. It is an absolute grind. And when I lost 80% of my revenue as a, as an, as a human being because of the pandemic and other things, uh, I needed time away from the product. I, I I fell in love with covering the Nashville Predators because I started in 2016. <laughs> and that was the... I, I started a show with Fitzy and we covered a Stanley Cup and it was amazing. Then Fitzy was in Bristol and the Preds started getting worse. It started getting less fun to cover the team. And it's just a grind. It's very, very difficult. And then uh, I needed a long break. I, I needed 10 months off before I could start talking about the Preds again. And so that's where you and I came back together and in, in September and October, I also had to do it without anyone telling me what I could or couldn't say. And that is, uh, that's another part of this. So again, there's more details to this. I'll explain it one, one day with more details, but the point is enjoy the conversations you have with, with, with hosts and with people you work with when you got them. Um, hockey is an absolute grind to cover. It is unlike any other sport. The fall is a grind for football people, but the other eight months of the year are far more fun and, and laxed. Hockey's not like that. It is six, seven months of nightly absolute grind, and it's hard. It's a hard beat to cover. You did it admirably. You did it extremely well. Um, we did it, uh, you know, in a mediocre way on, on the air. 
Um, and I'd like to think that this show is the best version of myself covering the predators. And um, I, I thank you for that, for giving us the opportunity. And hopefully the audience appreciates that. I will say that this show is very much still on the air and will be continuing. And it will continue with a different vibe and a different standard, for lack of a better term. And we will have some information and some in, and some more stuff on that coming soon. Uh, so Predators fans who are attached to this show, we, we love you for hanging out with us. But this show isn't going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. And we got we got we got things planned for you. So just just keep that in mind. So um, that is my little uh, addendum to your story. I think, again, I'll repeat myself. I think fans, there is not one of you who is better off because Adam Bingen is not covering the team, period. Full stop. End of discussion. There, I'm going to have to go up there and ask Peter Laviolette questions that piss him off now. It's up to me now, Adam, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so thank I don't you think for all you, I don't think you have to worry about that. No, I'll, I'll say this then from, from me, from everybody that I know that knows you, and from all the fans, thank you. Thank you for your hard work over the last seven years. I am going to make you say some things about the beat in a couple of minutes, but I know you don't want to do that, so I'm going to make you do it. Uh, but but thank you. Thank you uh, uh, for your time. It was a huge chapter of your life, and I thought you did a great job. So thank you. Well, I appreciate I appreciate that. Um, all right. So uh, quickly, go to Jaspers, our wonderful and amazing title sponsor, who in part, Adam Vingan, bought into the vision of this product and the vision of this show to tell it how it is to give you a fair analysis and objective reporting on the national predators in part Jasper's was on board because of you, Adam. And I don't, I don't say that without, you know, lightly. So special thanks to Jasper's for supporting us, uh, for being a part of this show. Um, it has grown with, with you, the audience. Thank you for you, the audience. Again, share the product, go to Jasper's free parking, all the great stuff. You guys know all about Jasper's. Um, and it has meant a lot to us that they have supported us and, and that you have supported us. So um, want to make sure we do all of that. Okay. So do you have anything else you'd like to add to the episode before I make you talk about the Norris Trophy? No. <laughs> all right i want to see how much your heart is in this adam <laughs> all right because i see so roman yossi finishes second in the norris trophy but he has more first place votes than kale mccarr we'll get to tanner Janot and alex carry and uc saros and selling the team and what does it mean we'll do all that here for a few minutes as well but i i am not surprised i am surprised at the reaction on twitter adam i'm surprised by the surprise I, I certainly can make the case that Roman Yossi was better. I can make the case he was a better season. I certainly can make the case that he was more valuable to his team than Kale McCarr was. But I was just not surprised at all. I did not expect him to win the Norris Trophy. Are, are, were you surprised that there were people that were surprised in, in this? Because I think you've been on the same page that like Kale McCarr is the favorite to win this. Um, well, I think just because of the season that Roman had offensively, um, he had you know the 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 greatest offensive season just based on pure points by a defenseman in three decades. And, and, you know, what I'm more surprised by is the number there are, there were three people who, and as we record this, the, the PHWA, which I am a member of for now um, (laughs) is, you know, will release, you know, the full, you know, the full voting, results with everybody who voted and who they voted for. But as we record this, that has yet to be released. There were three people who did not have Roman, excuse me, there were three people who had Roman as the, on their ballot in fourth. So the breakdown was 98 first place votes, which was six more than Kel McCarr. And I don't know if this is out there or not, but I would be curious to see the last time a player did not win an NHL award with more first place votes than the person who won the award. Um, but three people gave Roman a fourth place vote. And there is one person who did not have Roman on their ballot at all, which is incredibly shocking to me. Um, and those who did not have Roman in their top, in their top three or in their top two, you know, I think their rationale was that, Kale McCarr and Victor Hedman face tougher competition than Roman Yossi um, because Roman Yossi was not on the Predators' de facto shutdown pair. That was Matthias Ekholm and Alexander Carrier. 
So Roman did not have, I guess, I would have to look at Makar and Hedman specifically. It's been a minute. They, they, those two defensemen faced the elite competition more than Roman did. Um, Roman also did not um, play on the penalty kill as much, which was not his, which is not his fault. I mean, that's a coaching decision. Um, but in the interest of transparency, I had Roman second on my ballot. I picked Kale McCarr first because I thought McCarr's overall body of work was more impressive than Roman's. I thought Roman had an incredible offensive season, but I thought McCarr's defensive metrics, his defensive underlying numbers were better than Roman's, which is why I gave it to McCarr. My top five was McCarr, Yossi, McAvoy, Hedman, and Jacob Slavin in Carolina. Um, And uh, the voting, the top five in voting was McCarr, Yossi, Hedman, McAvoy, and Adam Fox in New York, who won the award last year. Um, so it was it was the closest uh, Norris vote, I believe, since 2012. Um, I do not have the information on the last time somebody yes. had more first place votes. I don't um, know if that information is out there. I don't know if someone's done that, yeah. but yes, to your point, it's the it was a 25 point margin for McCarr yeah. over Yossi. I think it was a 12 point margin for Eric Carlson over Shea Weber, coincidentally, in, in 2012. So that's right. (laughs) um, So, yeah. So am I surprised that Roman lost? No. Am I surprised by the reaction locally that Roman lost? No, because they care about Roman Yossi. What I am surprised by is that there were three people who did not think he was in the top three. And there was one person who didn't think he deserved a vote at all. How many people are in the, um, how many people vote on this? Not every, so not every person in the PHWA, if I'm, if I recall correctly, not everybody in the PHWA gets a vote. Okay. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. There were 195 voting members this year. It it should be, it should be 194 next year because that person should be fired from voting on this (laughs) award. That that is a Daryl, that's not even an opinion, dude. That's a dereliction of duty. What I so so the interesting things about the vote. So Charlie, someone gave Charlie McAvoy a first place vote. So someone had Charlie McAvoy as the best defenseman in the NHL, and I thought McAvoy had a fabulous season. I did not think though he was better than Makar and Yossi, which is why he was third on my ballot. Um, That that to me is interesting, Um, and then the other things I said as well. Yeah, I think those four people don't know what they're watching. I'm fine with voting Kale McCarr. I'm fine with you, even though it sounds like you're a traitor. I'm fine with you voting Kale McCarr over Roman Yossi. And, and I hope, this is what's going to sound strange as we talk about the Calder Trophy here, if the, if the voters are in fact using all of those things that you're talking about, right? Like underlying defensive metrics and how many times you're on the penalty kill, how many times you're playing the top line of the opposing team, like those types of things. If we're talking about all of that kind of detail and nuance when they're voting, then why would Tanner Janot finish seventh? <laughs> in in rookie of the year in the Calder Trophy award because not only did he lead the league in rook, all rookies and goals and and points but he did start in all of those difficult situations in his own zone on the penalty kill you know against the top competition like he was on the line that would go out there and start every period for the National Predators so i don't know like that that's where i'm confused a little bit like i agree i hope people use all that underlying stuff and if that leads you to vote for Kale McCarr, I'm not going to hate you for it. I have no problem with that because then you're doing your diligence. You're, you're researching every possible in and out, and you're trying to come up with the best possible answer to the question, which is very difficult. These are very good defensemen, all these guys. And I, if that's the case, then how do you explain Tanner Janot finishing seventh? Because all those underlying things should prop him up even further on top of the fact that he led all of rookies with 24 goals and 41 points. Well, I don't think he was the highest scorer in points. I believe Michael oh, Bunting sorry. was the was the See highest me? scorer, and he finished in third. It's all my um, fault. It's all my Mo, fault. Mo Sider, uh, the defenseman from Detroit, you know, was the overwhelming winner. He had a like a seven hundred point lead over Trevor Zegers, who finished second. Um, and I'm not so suggesting, break- by the way, that Tanner Janot should win the award. I'm just saying so, seventh, so the, seventh so best the rookie in the break, So the breakdown for Janot is he received zero first place votes, nine second place votes, three fourth place, excuse me, zero first place votes, nine second place votes, four third place votes, 11 fourth place votes, and 37 fifth place votes. So so the majority of, uh, of voters did not have Tanner Janot on their ballot. Um, 
I had Janot third. Um, I believe my ballot was most cedar or most cider was one. I think I had bunting two, Janot three, Zegris four, and Lucas Raymond in Detroit five. That's fine. That's a perfectly fine um, and valid so, vote. So you're so one of four I, people that gave him a third place vote? Yes. Cool. Um so cool. so Janot, you know, he led he led the rookies in goals. He led rookies in hits. He led rookies, and I believe the league in fights. He he played and he played on, on arguably the team's most important line. Um, and I think this is where we've talked about this on previous episodes. This is where I think sometimes, honestly, I think playing in Nashville works against him. Um, and Pretzel Pretzel agrees he, with me. He agrees um, with you. <laughs> He thinks it was a sham. It was a Travis. It was a Travis sham mockery that he finished seventh. I think if you were watching, if you if you did not, the thing is with Janot is, I think we talked about this before when we were talking about you know awards, and I talked about how one of the things that I think works well for like works in Janot's favor is that he's doing this and he's an unheralded rookie, you know a you know, an undrafted rookie who, you know, came basically came out of nowhere versus a, a, a rookie who had, you know, a, you know, maybe a higher pick in the draft or whatever. Um, I, I do think that unless, I mean, if you were not watching the Predators regularly, you missed the impact yeah. that Janot had. And I think that is what um, is what prevented him. Could, I should also say that could, Alex Carrier was 10th. Yep. Uh, he received a total of four votes, two third place votes and one fourth and fifth place vote. Lots of Preds uh, rookie defenseman records there, 27 assists, plus 26 on the season. He did make the NHL all-rookie team as one of the top top defensemen there. Yes. Um, Tanner Geno did not. I, I will say it's interesting. I think the unheralded thing, which you've mentioned a few times before, is actually, I think you could argue it both ways. I think to your point, if you know him and you understand how valuable he was to this team and how good he was this year and all the situations he was placed into, then you see the unheralded nature of his career path and you probably add value to his stock right but to your point about not watching the preds there's also an, a chance that if and this is this is more commentary on how much work ethic you have as a voter if you do not see him as a top five top 10 pick who doesn't have some like if you've heard his name over and over and over again for three years when you're reading farm system reports and the nhl draft and all this stuff there's maybe a better chance that when you see him on the score sheet, you know so much more about him that you're willing to vote him higher because you think he's got pedigree. So I think you could argue that it actually, it could help you in, if you do lots of research that you're unheralded. It could also hurt Tanner to know that he's unheralded if somebody didn't do as much research and they just didn't see the name very often over the last three years because he wasn't. He wasn't listed on all these, all these reports, right? These top 10 prospects and these top forwards and like he wasn't listed on any of those lists everywhere. And so maybe there's a chance that actually hurts him. I think Carrier, I think Carrier at the end of the season, people soured on him a little bit. I still think that was a hell of a rookie year for him. I've always really liked him. I went into the expansion draft saying, this guy's ahead of Fabro. I think he needs to be protected, blah, 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 blah. You know, like that whole deal. My my, my affinity for, for Alex Carrier is not, not a new thing <laughs> for people that listen to this show. Uh, but to really go back and look at his records, to be an NHL all-rookie team member, top 10 in the Calder Trophy voting, I think that's almost underrated. It's an, almost an underrated storyline that he's been so good. Now, those are all voted on by by you writers who do a bunch of research. UC Soros finishes third in the Vesna Trophy voting. That is voted on by the NHL GMs, and I think third's mm-hmm. probably about right for him. That's pretty expected, good recognition I for UC Soros. I expected third place. Um, what I found interesting in this vote is that um, – so Igor Shosturkin had 29 first place votes and I assume, you know, 32 general. Yeah. 29 out of 32 first place votes um, from GMs. And I think Shosturkin, especially because, because he was an MVP finalist, you know, this was his award to lose. What I found interesting is that neither the second or third place finisher received a first place vote, but fourth, fifth and sixth did. Um so Shesterkin had 29 first place votes. Markstrom had zero. Soros had zero. Freddie Anderson had one. Andre Vasilevsky had one. And Ilya Sorokin had one. So I think it's interesting that the people who finished in second and third did not have any first place votes. Three goaltenders who did not finish in the top three had one first place vote. 
here this goes to our total teardown conversation last week about trading UC Soros. Like you didn't he wasn't he like fifth or something in the Hart trophy voting last year? Something like that? I'd have to go back and look. He was up there. Um, let's say sixth even, something like that. The fact that you were a top ten MVP candidate, let's call it last year, and a top three goalie this year, and you are under contract for just around four million dollars a year for the next three years, and you're still young. I'm sorry. That's a you're going to get. A, you should be getting a lot in return if you wanted to trade UC Soros. Just reiterating that point. That's all. Because um, now looking, he's got a third place Vesna Trophy finish on his resume. I am looking for. I am looking for the awards from. Last Who, by the year. way, Austin Austin Matthews won the heart, right? And um, that was that was a no brainer. Run, I, I run away, for, yeah, sixty goals. So my so my vote for my votes for heart. I'm trying to remember this off the top of my head. Um, Austin Matthews was first. Igor Shosturkin was second. Johnny Goudreau was third. Connor McDavid was fourth, and Roman Yossi was fifth. Oh, I like that. I like that. That's a good. That's a good ballot right there, Adam. I respect your ballot there, sir. I'm I'm on board uh, with that. Yeah, um, and then you know some of the awards were given out like earlier this month, not in the awards section of, of the you know the you know, but you know in terms of predators, I had I had a Tanner Janot third on my on on my Calder ballot. I had Roman second on my Norris ballot, Roman fifth on my Hart ballot. Um, Carrier got one of my two All Rookie Team Defenseman award uh, award votes, as did um, Tanner Janot got one of my three forward votes as well. Um, Who was your so, All Rookie Team? Do you have that in front of you? Or, um, you my remember? All Rookie Team would have been. It would have been. Because the thing about the All Rookie Team versus the All NHL All Star Team is that you don't pick like. For the all-star team, you you do pick by position. So you pick a left winger, a center, a right winger, two defensemen, and a goaltender. Um, for the uh, award for the rookie team, you just pick three forwards, regardless of position. Um, so let's see. I have my whole ballot here. Okay. That was good, so that was good, my, that was good vamping by you. Good job. Yeah, so my NHL all rookie team was Michael Bunting, Tanner Janot, and Trevor Zegras. Okay. Um, my defense my defensemen were Mo Sider and Alex Carrier. And my def- and my goaltender was Jeremy Swayman in Boston. So here, right. so I think that's, like, I'll I think just, that's mine. So my heart trophy because I have the ballot up. My heart trophy was Austin Matthews, Igor Shesterkin, Johnny Goudreau, Connor McDavid, and Roman Yossi. My Norris was Kale McCarr, Roman Yossi, Charlie McAvoy, Victor Hedman, and Jacob Slavin. My Calder trophy was Mo Sider, Michael Bunting, Tanner Janot, Trevor Zegras, and Lucas Raymond. My Lady Bing, which is uh, you know sportsmanship, basically. Jacob Slavin, Andre Kopitar, Kyle Connor, Jared Spurgeon, and Mitch Marner. My Selkie Trophy uh, was Patrice Bergeron, Andre Kopitar, Anthony Sorelli, Ryan O'Reilly, and Valerie Nachushkin. Okay. Uh, my NHL All Star Team Center one through three: Austin Matthews, Connor McDavid, Patrice Bergeron. Right wing: Mitch Marner, Miko Rantanen, and Matthew Shane. Left wing: Johnny Goudreau, Kirill Kaprizov, and Jonathan Uberdo. Defense. Kel McCarr, Roman Yossi, Charlie McAvoy, Victor Hedman, Jacob Slavin, and Aaron Ekblad. Goaltender, Igor Shosturkin, Andre Vasilevsky, and UC Saros. Yeah, and all that matches up pretty pretty much with your voting for the other awards as well. So, yeah. um, no, no awards for the Preds, but I do think a lot of respect and maybe a little lack of respect for Tanner. But basically, a lot of respect. 98 first place votes for Roman Yossi. So, um, some, some cool stuff there in the voting. And I, I do think National Predators fans... Are getting like, you know, there's, there's, you know, Derrick Henry's won a lot of like, you know, accolades, but there's not like, <laughs> maybe he was going to be in the MVP conversation had he not gotten hurt, but there's, there's not a lot out there in sports in Tennessee that has come close to the sort of the Predators being accustomed, fans being accustomed to being in these conversations more. Pecorine winning a Vesna, Roman Yossi winning a Norris. You know, these guys now all being, you know, know, Soros and, you know, now there's rookie of the year candidates like they're just being more and more accustomed to being in these conversations. So um, just wanted to get that out of the way. Make sure you go to Jasper's, of course. Uh, Check out the before we continue, because I just found it. Um, UC Soros finished 11th in hard trophy balloting last year. He had one third place vote two second, one first, excuse me, one third place vote two fourth-place votes, three fifth-place votes. Well, my apologies to you, the audience. I was way off. I don't remember why I was thinking 
sixth place or whatever. But I guess I again, top twelve. Place. I think he was sixth place in Vezina. Okay, though. that might be right. That's so. Either way, top twelve most valuable player in the NHL and a top three goaltender this year. That is high trade value if I've ever heard of it. That's all I want to say. Okay, so late on, gosh, I don't know. Was this Thursday night? Um, I don't it, know. It, it started making the rounds. It broke on the on the Twitter sphere that uh, former Governor Bill Haslam will be buying the Nashville Predators. So when you just hear that sentence, you start to freak out. <laughs> like for mm-hmm. for a million reasons, you see that sentence, you go, wait a second, what does that mean? If you start to think it through, and you actually start to see the details, and then you see the press release from the Predators, which essentially says that slowly but surely over time, Bill Haslam is going to take over uh, 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 ownership shares from Herb Fritsch and become eventually the majority owner. So right off, right out of the gate, almost nothing happens in terms of power and control. None of the things you and I have talked about on this podcast for months now that we want to hear from ownership about what, where's David Poyle? How do they evaluate David Poyle? Where's the future of the franchise going? What are the marching orders? Blah, 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 blah. I don't think any of this changes because another person who is throwing his, his hat in the ring, if he gets to the point where he is, I don't know what the number would be, Adam, like 51% ownership where he has complete control over decision-making and it's no longer a group of fans that bought the team. I don't know. I think then you can start to have a conversation about his impact on it and his fingerprints. But I I, I feel like it was this huge story. And then all of a sudden people were like assuming these major things were going to happen. And and like, it could be 10 years before, (laughs) before anything actually happens with what this acquisition actually means. I mean, I don't agree with everything Bill Haslam did. I don't think he's a terrible, awful politician, but I don't agree with a lot of things he did for the Nashville community. I, was he a fine mayor of Knoxville and governor for Tennessee? Like I, I disagree with a lot of stuff he did, but like, whatever, he's fine. Does that mean he's going to be a quality owner and know how to lead this team and steer the franchise? I have no not clue. If takes, not if he takes advice from his brother. Well, and th- that's the other thing. Like that's, like my brother is very, very smart and does a lot of things in a very different industry. I'm not asking him how I run a media company. <laughs> like, I don't know how, why Jimmy Haslam's inability to, you know, manage Tennessee athletics and or the Cleveland Browns has anything to do with Bill Haslam being a, a, a stakeholder in the national predators. Um, and here's the other thing. I don't know why here's my, and I, this is what I do want to question from you. I do not like defending or sounding like I am defending or carrying water for Sean Henry in any way. He doesn't need anyone to do that. He can do it himself. Very, very deftly, I might add. I don't know why it is people all of a sudden were like demanding that this this means Sean Henry should lose his job. Like if any, if, if the one person is doing his job well, it feels like it's Sean Henry. Am I wrong on that? Like, again, were there people who were saying that this should mean that Sean Henry doesn't have a job anymore? There was a lot of people, and maybe I shouldn't be reading Twitter, but there's a lot of people saying, all right, Bill Haslam's going to come in, clear house. This means new Sean Sean Henry gets replaced, David Poyle gets replaced, like new everything. And the business side of the Nashville Predators, Bridgestone Arena, like that's why you're buying the team if you're Bill Haslam, because you're going to make a fortune. You're going to make a shit ton of money off the Predators, whether they win or lose. We've documented this on the show. Sean Henry's... Again, whether you love him or hate him, agree with his politics, his decision making, whatever, like the guy does his job well. The fact that the team on the ice is stale is not his fault. <laughs> like, I don't, I mean, you can complain about ticket prices to Sean Henry. You can complain about a, uh, you know, putting a, <laughs> a pedal tavern on the ice to Sean Henry. I don't know what else you complain. What, what is it that he's done so, like, I, I'm, I'm curious why that reaction took place. I don't know. Do you have any insight? You, you have any guesses? I, I, you know, to be honest with you, I, I really didn't pay too much close attention to any of the fallout from that particular news item, um, because God quite bless frankly, you that, I, sir. I, I didn't have to, um, so I didn't. Wasn't um, that, didn't that wasn't that freeing and refreshing? <laughs> yeah, it was. I was asleep when I woke up in the middle of the night and saw, it and then went back to bed. Um, uh, nicely so, done. So, um, for me, the question I would have is. I agree with you, and it was spelled out. I think in their in their news release that you know this is going to be a transition that that Bill Haslam isn't you know coming in and, and buying majority ownership of the team and taking it over immediately. And it sounds as if though the ownership group will remain 
in some form or fashion. So it's still going to be a multi-headed hydra of an ownership group. You know, my question would be once Bill Haslam uh, assumes majority ownership, which doesn't sound like it's going to be any time in the immediate future, you know, how does that change how the organization is run? Does Bill Haslam take on, as we talked about on multiple occasions, does he take on a more front-facing role? Is he more available? Does he speak about the, the on-ice product more often than his predecessors? Um, does it change you know, the calculus in terms of you know, David Poyle and, and things of that nature? You know, that, that is what I would be most interested in hearing about. Um, but you know, for now, it's status quo. You know, yeah. so not, nothing is changing immediately. Could, so for right now, it, there's go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was going to say, could it be building to somebody, you know, putting their ducks in a row and fans probably want to hear this sooner than three years or four years, but could you be getting all of your ducks in a row to make all these transitions in two or three years so that that's when there is a majority owner who has a front facing personality, who's making these decisions. And all of a sudden there's a new GM and a new coach. Like, could all of that be, where this is all headed, that's possible, but that's sure. probably not what fans want to hear if it's three years down the road or four years down the road or five years down the road. Right. And you didn't ask me this question, but I'm just going to say this um, because as we've watched, you know, I think, I think it speaks to the the fan discontent um, and perhaps fans wanting this to be a, 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 a quicker transition. Um, the, there will surely be um, a, there will surely be those who look at what the Colorado Avalanche have done this postseason um, since the Predators uh, were on the receiving end of, uh, of a terrible beatdown uh, that will make certain fans say, well, it wasn't so bad because look what they did to the, to the Florida Panther. I mean, not the Florida Panthers, what to they everybody. did to, what they did to everybody. I was thinking of the lightning there with the Panthers. Um, it doesn't change the fact that the Predators are, are, multiple players away from being anywhere near as competitive yeah. as the Colorado avalanche. So um, if the avalanche, you know, they, they lost game three, if they win game four and five and they end up winning the Stanley cup by only losing three games in four rounds, um, the idea that the predators are maybe not as far away because the avalanche toyed with most of their opponents, quite frankly. And I, and I know we've cussed on this show, so it's not like this is a new thing. That argument is bullshit. Um, so the predators Ooh. are still, the predators are still, vast far away to yep. use the word that i that i used in my uh in, in previous writings and podcast chasmic it's, I, it's it remains chasmic and this leads us right into the the stanley cup because again i don't think there's much to discuss about the ownership conversation honestly um i i think you know for tampa to have a chance at a third straight win we're recording this when it's 2-1 i think so like they've got a shot i guess but it seems that it's more of a colorado coronation than anything else I just want to I just want to put into historical perspective what a three-peat would be for Tampa Bay because they've obviously won back to back. You got Pittsburgh in 16 and 17 that won back to back. You had to go all the way back to the Detroit Red Wings in 97-98 who won back to back. Then you had the Penguins in 91-92. Then you had Edmonton who won uh back to back in 84-85 and 87-88 and then won it again in 90. So they won five times, but that was over a seven-year period of time. You have to go all the way back to 1983 to get to a three-peat, to put into perspective what Tampa Bay has accomplished getting there and should they come back on Colorado. So I just want to, I just wanted to point out that how insane Tampa Bay is. <laughs> um, again, I still think Colorado is going to win the series. They're the, this is a coronation of the last 10 years of awful Colorado hockey and the buildup to this moment. And I think that they've earned it. They're the best team. And I, I just wanted to throw out there that like, you have to go, like back to when I was one years old, <laughs> I'm 39. <laughs> you got to go back to when I was one years old. I wasn't alive when the Islanders did their four. <laughs> to get to the four peat for the Islanders from 80 to 83. So that's the last time a three peat has happened. That is what, that is how difficult what Tampa Bay is attempting and is now three games away from doing. So just wanted to, to throw that out there. Okay. So let's wrap up here. I got a couple of questions for you, Adam. I know you didn't want to do this, but All our, right. audience, our audience needs to hear this. Go to Jasper's everybody. And I just wanted to ask you a few random questions, not just from your time at The Athletic, but from your time, seven plus years on the beat covering the Nashville Predators. You've been through a lot. You've seen a lot. You've written a lot. You've done brilliant work. I just wanted to ask you a couple of quick 
questions. You can you can answer these however long or short you feel like answering. Okay. Sure. Is that is that fair? All right, let's do it. What is or what stands out as the most memorable moment in time during your Nashville Predators beat career? Is there a particular game moment? Just that that singular thing that happened that you say, when I think about my seven years covering this team, that's the first thing that comes to mind from a positive state of state of mind. State of mind. My, you know, I think the I think you know the obvious answer would be you know the 2017 playoffs, but I would actually go before that. I think the the first time I really grasped um, what kind of hockey market Nashville was is when when the Predators hosted the All Star Game. Um, I thought that the league and the team did a really good job of of making that event their own. Of course, the the whole John Scott thing uh, was a storyline throughout, which made it even more interesting. You know, remember when he won the MVP? He wasn't even, a, I, if I recall correctly, he wasn't even a choice at first. And then the fans in the building rebelled and then they ended up making him a choice. Or I think they just decided to give it to him. And that, that, that scene of him, you know, being lifted up on the shoulders of his teammates and keep in mind, John Scott, not a small guy. No. Um, so, you know, I, I think that whole event really gave me perspective on, on what, you know, the predators were building um, in terms of, of, of their fan base and the interest in the city in the team. And that was around the time that the team was on the rise. So you had that build into it as well. But I remember after that was over, just thinking, you know, that this market, you know, I, that, I feel like that was really the first time this market had that sort of um, spotlight on it. I know they hosted a draft in the past, but it had been a long time. Um, mm. You know, I think of course, you know, people remember the scenes from the Stanley cup playoffs in 2017, but I think the, the all-star game was a precursor to that and a sort of a preview of what was to come. So, yeah. you know, I, I remember, I remember that experience fondly, you know, the, the lead up to, and the, in the, the all-star weekend itself. What was your worst take in seven years? <laughs> there were a lot of them. Um, <laughs> my worst take in seven years. The, well, the, the thing is when I didn't do a lot of take. I didn't make a lot of takes when I was at the Tennessean because it wasn't my job. Um, I'm trying to think if there was anything that happened at the athletic, or, or just something you said on air, just just something you tweeted. Just what, what was, yeah, what was you the know, thing you were the most wrong I'm about? Sure, I'm, about sure the there's something, I'm sure there's something I'm clearly missing, but I can't think of it off the top of my head. I mean, oh, I they're so going you were to be just right the whole time, is what you're saying. No, I'm, I definitely wasn't, <laughs> but I don't think I had anything that was to the level of cold takes exposed. Okay, I gotcha. Um, I, I, not I'm like sure not like say not like say you should have protected Callie Yarncroke instead of Tanner Janot. Things like that. <laughs> um, I you know I'm sure people will point to the fact that, and you will, and you gave me crap for this too, that in about a span of a month and a half or two months, I went from trade, you know, don't sign Philip Forsberg to, Hey, you they should sign Philip Forsberg. You know, <laughs> maybe, maybe that, you know, counts, but I can't think of anything where I put myself out there so much and was clearly wrong. Um, I mean, I was definitely wrong a lot, but I don't think, I don't think there was anything that rose to the level of like something memorable that people will remember that I said that was so wrong that it, it has followed me ever since. Okay. Um, favorite interview could be a player, could be a coach, could be an owner, could be a fan. The, the interview that you remember that you think you will remember the most and, and like, maybe you, you can, like, you can like, include the subsequent story that you wrote about it. If you okay. want. Okay. So, so are you talking about like favorite people to interview or the one singular interview? Can you do both? Can you do favorite player to interview? And then also your favorite story you wrote? Well, slash, I, I mean, I think interview. it would, I think it would come as no surprise that my, my favorite interview was Pecorine. It was it, yeah. it, it was always a joy to speak to Pekka. Um, I, I really enjoyed our relationship, and 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 I always um, I always you know valued our relationship. Um, I think the singular interview I enjoyed the most was my conversation last summer with Mark Borowiecki, um, that led to the story I wrote about him in October, um, just because it was he was he was uh, he was unguarded. Um, you know, Mark Borowiecki, uh, quickly, uh, shot up my rankings of my favorite players to cover. He, he's just a really good, he's just a really good person. 
Um, and you know, it sucks that I didn't get to know him better. Um, because of, as I talked about earlier, the limitations of, of the pandemic, but I did get to know him pretty well and I really enjoyed, uh, getting to know him, but the interview I did with him and, you know, I, I think that's up there for sure. I think that that's, you know, that, that, I, that stands out to me. I know it's been recent, it's recent, but that to me, I think was, you know, probably my favorite interview, like singular interview that he conducted. So, so you and I have both been pretty open about just general mental health and anxiety issues in the media. And I am curious, not because of starstruck nerves. Like, I don't think you and I have ever gotten nervous to talk to an individual person because of like, like awe. Um, I don't know if like you got to interview coach K or something, you'd be nervous about that. I don't, I don't know, but uh, what about like just nerves, anxiety from like an intimidation standpoint, who was the most intimidating player to just walk up to and like, you have to swallow your anxiety and do your job. Well, I'm trying to think. I mean, Lavi, Lavi was very much that way. In in general, but, you, but, but right. when you when you when you just like anytime you got to anytime a player came to the team, you know it, you know you had to there was a feeling out process for sure, um, and and certain guys you clicked with, certain guys you didn't. Just in general, but you know especially when someone got traded to the team or someone signed or or you know what have you. Um, I'm trying to think of like, like you know, James Neal, <laughs> you know. James Neal remains the only player who ever um, who ever said anything about something I wrote about them, like had a problem with something I wrote about them that was yeah. at least like upfront about it. And that was like my second week on the job. Um, <laughs> the the other person who took umbrage uh, with something I wrote was Nick Bonino, but he never had the the fortitude to say it to my face. Oh, um, so, I love it. Um, so, yeah. Um and I think it's I think it's quite evident. Um, I think it was quite evident if, if for fans who uh, who watched pre- who watched news conferences uh, in the uh, first half of the of the 2019-20 season that uh, Peter Laviolette and I didn't quite see eye to eye. You know, I I I have a tremendous I have tremendous amount of respect for Peter Laviolette as a coach. Um, he was not easy to work with, and yeah. I'm not the only one who would say that. I, and um, I have, and for the record, on that lamestream sports episode that we're going to do one day, where I get to tell everybody everything, I've got plenty of lobby content ready to go. Um, but like in terms <laughs> of like, was it like there were times where I try, you know, where I would go into an imposing dress, opposing quote unquote dressing room, like another team's dressing room for like a big picture story I was working on. Um, and I think the one time, like, I kind of was like, "Am I ready to do this?" Like, you know, I think it, I think it might. I think it might have been Henrik Lundqvist. I did. I did really? uh, a story on Shea Weber um, for like I think it was actually ahead of the All Star game, and I was trying to get as many, you know, oppo- I was trying to get as many opposing viewpoints as possible. So when you know when 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 another team came to town, I would always go into their dressing room after morning skate, and you know I had never interviewed Henrik Lundqvist, but you know I've always seen from afar that he was a really good interview. Um, and so I kind of, you know, I wouldn't say I was nervous, but I was like, I want to make sure I handle this right. Cause he doesn't know me. I just, you right. know, so, you know, just because of his standing in the league, yep. you know, so maybe as Henrik Lundqvist comes to mind. And once he has really a suit know. on and once he has a suit and tie on, he's on set. Like he's very handsome. You know, you can't, one look, he's of my, on, he's one of my favorite <laughs> non predators interviews, um, was, is Ryan Reeves. Um, I did a lot, of, I did a lot of talking to Ryan Reeves during the playoff series in 2017. Um, between the Predators and the Blues, and he was great. He's a he's a he's a character. I really like talking to Ryan Reeves. All right, we'll let you go on this. I could ask you a bunch more, but I want to know, like, in your seven years, what do you think was the dumbest possible story that you had to like write about, cover, talk about? Where you're just like, I can't believe this is a topic that we are having to discuss. I like. Because there's so many of them in every sport that I just go, I can't believe we're having this discussion. A lot of them like the Titans this summer, right? Like asthma gate and mentor gate and all this other garbage, <laughs> like just things that are just not stories that somehow the internet turns into a big deal. And all of a sudden your editor's like, Hey, we got to talk about this. We got to write about this. You're getting asked about it by slappies like me on the radio. Do, do you have a, a one or two of those that you remember that you're just like, I, 
I'm trying to tell you people, this is not important. This doesn't matter. This is so dumb. I can't believe it's a story. Do you have, like, I've got, I've got a very clear one. (laughs) Well, what's yours? And then I'll, well, and again, this, some of this will, some this is a teaser for what, what I'll explain with Lavi at one point, sometime down the road. And that was, I was on the air discussing the video that, where he oh, like, where he like popped, right, a, he, he like popped a guy in the side of the helmet. It was like a ten yes. year, it was like a ten year yes. old video. That that was, is up there for sure. That was, that story is yes. up there for sure. And it was right in the middle of a reckoning where all these coaches were actually getting fired for actual abuse. And meanwhile, Lavi is getting sort of, and this is going to sound like a defense, but it, then it's going to it'll turn quickly. <laughs> it where it like I was essentially defending Peter Laviolette on the air, and Peter Laviolette and everyone else thought I was not, and it was just. It was so silly and so dumb. The fact, and so outwardly from the Preds yeah, standpoint, you, from a fan standpoint. reminding me of that. I had completely forgotten about like, that. Yeah, yeah. like the but idea yeah, that- that is up there for sure. Yes, that is the, up there for sure. the idea that somehow popping a guy on the side of the helmet during a game 10 years ago on an internet video is somehow the same as like abusing a 16-year-old is just so insanely nonsensical to me. Um, also, for the record, why I got in trouble is because I- didn't I just didn't believe Peter Laviolette in his statement? But that's again, that's a story for another another podcast. I, I that that was one that I thought was just like, what are we doing? <laughs> yeah, I remember <laughs> that. I remember that because I remember. So I think what it started from was, it. it, it I think Greg Wyshynski had a story about Villy Leno who played for Peter in in Philadelphia, and I think I don't think the story was about Peter necessarily. No, but no. I think. You know, Billy Leno mentioned something, and then Peter, after a practice, had to come out and and talk about it. Yeah. And yeah. then I remember, like writing this. I was at the Athletic. I, I I I mean, I was trying to track down as many players from that team as I could. It's like I talked to Daniel Briere and I talked to Scott Hartnell, who were like on the team on the ice at that time, saying like they had no recollection of that. They didn't remember it until they saw it. They didn't think it was malicious. They're blah, 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 blah. But yes, that was that was one. Here's the one that I can remember. And this is different because I just like this wasn't someone telling me to write it. I just decided to write it. You mentioned it in passing already. I wrote a story about the pedal tavern on the ice <laughs> um, because of just how like how venomous the reaction was to it. And I, I, I sat down with Sean Henry and asked him about it. It was just like, where did this idea come from? Like, are you aware of the, <laughs> are you aware of the, of the reaction to it? Like if people don't like it, are you going to not do it anymore? And, you know, it, it was, you know, part, it was like half eye roll, half like, yeah, you know, people are actually talking about this. And, and the story actually performed pretty well. Of course because it did. I did. So it was, but you know, you know, at, I can't think of anything off the top of my head at the Tennessean. I mean, look, there were times at the Tennessean where I had to write things that I thought were silly, but I can't remember anything like I, I think the example you used may have been the best example because it's, I, like a, it's like a fabricated non-story that now we all have to talk about. Yes. Yeah. So I do think that was I do think that was um, I think that was no, it's straight pedal taverns and uniforms, man, that that shit will get clicks, dude. <laughs> I don't understand no, I mean, it. I don't understand it, but it get, you got an opinion about a uniform, you know, the Adidas switch, right. From Reebok during that change right after the, uh, the Cup, stadium like, series Jersey stadium. Seri- like that stuff, man, it like winter classic, that stuff gets clicks, dude. <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know why people go nuts for uniforms, sweaters, jerseys, you know, whatever. So hats. So, uh, okay. Well, let, let, we'll end on this. Uh, first of all, just thank you, man, for for working with me and 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 riding with me on this weird gold standard podcast journey. I, I do appreciate it. Jasper's loves you for it. Everybody out there, go to Jasper's. Do you have any final parting words in your final appearance on the show? Um, just in general, I, I had fun doing it. Um, you know, I remember when we first talked about it, and you were formulating the four forty Sports Network and your vision for it. And I remember, you know, being excited about doing it. Um, I, I, I liked, I liked, I thought we had good conversations. I thought, you know, it was a good, it was a different way to talk about things that we, you know, that are, you know, consume our lives and, um, you know, in terms of the, the job, but, um, 
no, I had fun doing it. Um, but yeah, I just, you know, I think, as I said at the top of the show, I think that, you know, I've, I've come to a point where, you know, I, I'm, I'm ready for something else. So that isn't to say that, you know, maybe I pop up on, pop up on a lame stream episode at some mm. point or <laughs> I, um, or I, you know, like I said, I'm, am I, I'm, am I closing the door on ever writing about the Nashville Predators ever again? No, but I am closing the door on writing about them in the way that I have been writing about them for the past seven yeah. and a half years. And apparently um, talking about them with us here on the pod. So yes, just, we are hurt. We are damaged, but we will survive, sir. And we will continue to persevere despite all of the adversity. Adam, thank you. I would suggest people follow you on Twitter if you want. I guess you'll just be tweeting about emo rock bands and Duke basketball and your son for a while. So take a break. Take a breather. You've earned it. You've been the best reporter in this market on that beat for almost a decade. And uh, you deserve a break. So take a breath. Uh, Everybody out there, tweet at him and say thank you, please. You know, tag Jaspers too if you want to. <laughs> but, but say thank you to Adam for all the work that he's done. Um, and, and again, reminder, we are not going anywhere. This show is not going anywhere. We've got plans for you. Uh, we haven't figured it all out exactly yet, but we've got plans. We've, they've been in the works, and uh, we're not going anywhere. So we might take a, a, a week or two break, but uh, we're not going anywhere. And this show will continue as, as it is currently constructed. Just it's going to have a new, new voice on it. And, and so, Adam, for all of us, thank you for hanging out with us. My name is Braden Gall. Thank you all for listening and spending the last, oh, 18, 20 months with us. We love you for it. Share the product. We'll be back again very, very soon. And stay tuned to the 440 Sports Twitter feed for updates and uh, information on what it's going to be like moving forward. So, Adam, thank you, my man. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for including me. And, and thanks again for everyone for their support.